0: This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Behind the scenes, Matt Kelly does a ton of research and a lot of editing for every episode. When I'm unavailable, he's quick to fill in as a host. But until today, he never got to pick an episode on his own. This week, he joins me to talk about Semi Sonic and why Dan Wilson is one of his all-time favorite singer-songwriters. We decide if the band is a blunder or brings the thunder while it's closing time for 2020. Never girl.
1: Closing time. One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can live off royalties forever. And it makes me
0: wonder, is it just a wonder? So Matt, it took a while, but you're finally a guest on One Hit Thunder. Not only are you the producer of One Hit Thunder, but now you're finally a guest. So congratulations.
1: It took a long time. I really had to campaign hard for this, but yeah. <laughs> here I am.
0: You, you knew people to talk to to get that spot. And, and here you are. And I'm confident this is going to be our best episode because you are you are well prepared, especially for today's artist but just in general, as the guy who does the research for the episodes, you could talk to me probably about all of the artists and episodes
1: that we've done so far. But
0: we're going to talk about one in particular today. And that band is Semisonic.
1: Semisonic, which <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was driving, and there was like a million and one reasons why I wanted to pick Semisonic. But I think that the way I became a Semisonic fan is so weird because it wasn't through the song closing time. Wow. You're the one person on earth who
0: heard a semi-sonic not through closing time. Like I
1: knew the song closing time, but I became a semi-sonic fan when I was in college, which was like 2005. They had long since broken up by then. But I was a freshman in college. I got my first car and it had a tape deck in it. So the only way to listen to music in the car was I either had like the CD player with the cassette tape thing or I dug around in my basement and just found old cassette tapes. And while doing that, I found an old tape from the 90s where I just taped songs off the radio. Right. So I popped it in and there was like songs that I was familiar with. And then this song came on and I was like, what the hell is this? I mean, like Shazam wasn't a thing at that time. Uh-huh. So I had to like write down the lyrics and then Google them when I got home. Right. Um, and it was the song called Singing Me to Sleep by Semisonic. <laughs> This song's incredible. Blown away by how good this song was. So then I started diving into the rest of their catalog, and that's what made me like go out and buy all their records. I was like, okay, this is like the band for me. And I think what happened with this band is, as I was doing research, I'm gonna grab a note for a second. So they won a ton of like magazine awards uh-huh. those magazine awards included rolling stone ranked it the 19 most most annoying song of all time and like wow. it just got people got very tired of this song so much to the point that like the song's been featured in a bunch of tv shows and movies and when the main guy of semisonic dan wilson when when he was asked about why he thinks that is uh he believed that the song became a shorthand for the feeling of realizing that someone from a very different culture than yours can still share the same types of beliefs but also it's a great comedy bit because it's a song that everybody knows but no one likes right so like he was like aware that it's like this really obnoxious earworm to a lot of people right and dude, there's
0: so many things. Before you can go further, there's so many things I want to talk about in what you've already said. <laughs> yeah. First of all, as far as the, the TV thing, the first thing I think of is there's an episode of the office, post Michael Scott office, where Andy Bernard is the boss and it's the cold open of the show. And he <laughs> the the whole the whole office is really annoyed about the fact that every day at the end of the day, it's Andy Bernard's routine. To sing Closing Time (laughs) to uh, signify the end of the day. And and, and he's like, well, we need some sort of tradition at the end of the day. Hey, everybody, it's Closing Time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Closing Time. Every office needs an end of the day tradition. Something to tell you the day's over. Otherwise, you go home and the night just feels like more day. It's weird. And, you know, everyone's kind of annoyed by it. And then Stanley starts very passionately singing it. And he and he talks about how he never even heard the song before. But now the song means it's the end of the day. And now it's his favorite song. And I think that's a real, it's like my favorite uh, cold open to of the office ever. So, yeah, I know what you're saying about it being in a lot of TV shows and stuff. And, of course, another thing you touched on I want to talk about is that, hilarious adapter that is very early 2000s (laughs) that is a cassette tape with a wire on it that goes to a portable CD player, (laughs) which, you know, in the Punchline van and in my uh, minivan that I drove for 13 years,
1: yeah, of course you had one of those. It's the most compelling technology I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Because like I feel like most technology I can kind of figure out, but like that one I'm still just like this is baffling to me. <laughs> like, right. It- it's it's amazing. It is one of the funniest
0: If I broke one of those things out right now at a party or something, or when we can have parties again, I want to break one of those out and be like, look at this thing, everybody. Look how funny this is. Now that we live in a world where, yeah, you press a button on your phone and magically through the air, it starts playing (laughs) on like some speaker that's also not plugged in, (laughs) just... Through the magic of technology. Yeah, that thing is really funny. And the one other thing I wanted to comment on before we get further into semisonic is that concept of taping songs
1: off the radio. Dude, it was the best. Yeah. I discovered so like I feel like because of those cassette tapes, and I think specifically because they I only had like maybe five of them, so I listened to them constantly in the car. I think that's why I do a good job with researching songs for this show, is that I have such a weird reference point of 90s stuff because i had all these tapes of songs that people completely brain dumped like i just had taped off the radio like the follow up singles to like one hit wonders that like no one remembers that song but i right. like i passionately remember that song and i think what happened is that he's right people got really annoyed with closing time and i think despite the fact that dan wilson is a very talented songwriter and that semisonic made very good catchy power pop people just were like the closing time, guys, no thank you. <laughs> like right. I feel like they kind of got thrown into we talk about like these Eiffel 65s and these like Lou Beggas, where if the song is at a certain level of obnoxiousness, no one is going to dive deeper into what that band has to offer.
0: And it's really un. it is unfair. And I'm probably guilty of that. That song came out at a time which I- I've talked about this on several episodes, where I was into punk rock and everything else was just like no not interested it's on the radio nah, not too cool for that but i think this is a a pretty good closing times a pretty good song and i probably would have dove deeper into it but yeah it was played out yeah. and it was just it was too much it takes a really special song to not be ruined if you just play it to death yeah there's there's only so much that people can handle and you better have a strong follow up or not wait too long for that follow up and just let that one song just destroy what could have been more for your band
1: well and the writing of the song is insane like the whole the whole premise of how the song even came to be is ridiculous because so semisonic is actually a side project of a different band from the late 80s early 90s called trip shakespeare which was like signed to a major label, but never had a hit. Like they were just like this band that, and according to the lead singer, who wasn't the lead singer of Semi Sonic, like the label did everything in their power to make it work. They just were like they were like a band that fish liked. You know what I mean? Like they were mm-hmm. like a trip, like a psychedelic like jam band type thing. When researching it, they did their first album was called "Are You Shakespeareanced? And I thought that that's an amazing title for a band called Trip Shakespeare. <laughs> but uh, when they broke up. It allowed for the guys from Semisonic to kind of got to just skirt right into like another major label because everyone already knew them from the label scene. Right. So they put out their first album and it was called The Great Divide and it didn't really do anything. It has... uh, There's a song on there called FNT that some people might know if they are big teen flick fans like me because the song's featured really heavily in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. But they wrote this album. It didn't really do anything. And they had this closing song that they would play every show. And they got sick of playing it. But it was like the fan favorite. And the drummer said to the singer, you need to write a new song for us to close our sets with. And yeah. so he's like, oh, I'm going to write a song called Closing Time. Right. So the whole song was literally just built on wanting a song to close out their shows. Well, that's cool. I mean,
0: you need walk into a songwriting process knowing what that... Even if it's a title of a song. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. Within our band, if (laughs) someone... I know I'm guilty of this. If Steve would send me something or another friend would send me something and they would just call the demo of just some music. Doesn't have lyrics on or whatever. Just call it like coffee cup. Well, I instinctively, if I'm going to try to write melodies and lyrics over that, I'm going to use that title that they used and be like, okay... Gonna gonna try to write this song called Coffee Cup. So it is nice to have that like jumping off point. He knew he wanted to write a song about closing the set or closing time was gonna be the name of it, and that's that led to a massive hit single. You know. So what do you think the song is actually about? I pictured it was a sort of double meaning. So it it makes it gives you that feeling of okay, the bar is closing. It's time the party's over. It's time to to close up the perfect song to play when you're closing the bar and you're turning the lights on and things like that. So it gives you that feeling. But I do feel like what I thought the song would be about would be, a big transition in your life, whether it was a, a separation in a relationship or it was, you know, an end of an era of your life, some sort of deeper meaning.
1: So you are very close with that second thing. Right. What happened was while he was writing closing time, he was also getting prepared to be a dad for the first time. Mm-hmm. And according to Dan Wilson, the song in his mind when he wrote it is actually using the terminology of bouncers removing someone from the bar as from the perspective of a fetus about to be born into the womb so it's like open your eyes to the world and like so, like all of those like little pieces in that song is like mm. his version of like being born but i think you're kind of onto something even more accurate, which I think as much as he says it's about his son being born, but I think it's more about him becoming a dad, like his life kind of taking a giant shift and transition.
0: Right. Well, what did it, I mean, it makes sense to me and it's not what he said, but I think what makes more sense is like, yeah, you're about to have a kid. So yeah, it's closing time on partying because yeah. you're going to have to <laughs> yeah. be at home with your kids. So yeah. yeah, that, that makes sense to me. But as far as like closing time mean, being born. That goes over my head a little bit.
1: <laughs> when he first said that, I'm like, I feel like that's revisionist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <That's>...
0: <laughs> After the fact, he's just making up some, exactly. some kind of story. But... Have
1: you ever done that? Have you ever like made up what a song from Punchline was <sighs> actually about? Uh-huh.
0: Not that I know of, but maybe subconsciously I did. I have written things. If you're going stream of conscious and you're just writing what's coming into your head and then you make a demo of a song, and then it's finished, and then you listen back to it, and you go, oh, I realize what this is about now, even though I didn't know what it was about when, when I was writing, writing it. Yeah. yeah, I do that, but I don't think I'm going back and like making up
1: some kind of fake story about what a song's <laughs> about after the fact. So Closing Time comes out. It's a big hit, obviously. We all know it. It was everywhere. I think, let me double check, but I think it actually didn't chart nearly as high as I expected it to chart. The most I could see was that it peaked at number eight On the pop charts, but like, I think it was like just a modest hit on like the Billboard Hot 100 in general. Right. But it it was, it was big. I mean, I don't have a top 10 pop hit. (laughs) Right. No. And on top of that,
0: especially when we do this show, the Billboard charts aren't always the end all be all. That just means. How well it performed
1: as soon as it came out. Exactly. And, and that's we've the talked legacy about is th- not
0: included in that.
1: Well, we've talked about this before because their follow- up single Secret Smile did okay in the US, but it was like massive in the UK. But we've also talked about like the concept of like a riding the wave hit. We talked about it with Cisco. you know what I mean, like none of us could even hum one melody line of the song incomplete, which somehow charted higher than the thong song. Right. But it came out so quickly after the Thong song that people were just riding that Cisco wave. Right. And they were going to listen to any single that came out. But the by test Cisco. of time is part of what makes a one hit wonder. That's the biggest th- I, And I mean, obviously, we've had the controversy with like a Rick Springfield where it's like, okay, yeah, dude had like number one hits for days, but still, yeah. Any person on the street, it's Jesse's girl and nothing else. Right, right. Uh, so they had these singles. They put out their third and what was their last album, chemi- All About Chemistry. And then they just kind of disband it. Now, Dan Wilson is one of those people that we talk about on this show all the time that has endured as a songwriter. And I want to read you this, this resume. Oh, I can't wait. This is These are all of the artists that he has written songs for or co-written songs with. John Legend, Liam Rimes, Stevie Nicks, Jason Merez, Weezer, Nata Surf, Panic at the Disco, Florence and the Machine, Taylor Swift, Nas, Pink... And Adele, which he wrote her song, Someone Like You. Wow. He won a Grammy for production on Adele's 21. And he won a Grammy for writing the song Not Ready to Make Nice by the group formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. Wow. Damn, dude. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. And... To
0: call, to be doing an episode of One Hit Thunder about a dude with that resume is insane. It's just semi-sonic is a one hit
1: wonder. This dude is the complete opposite of that. Yeah, he's crushing it. He's doing incredible. And like someone like you, like that was a mega hit. Like that's one of those songs where like you just hear the title and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that one.
0: Dude, that list
1: of artists was
0: insane. And yeah, that is what I like to think. that That's what if you achieve that mega success with something you do, you got to go that. I mean, if you can, you go that route with it and just parlay that into so much more success uh, regardless of what you're the project was called <laughs> that you had the first success with.
1: And I think that that's the big thing with like when you're looking at Semisonic and you're looking at uh, Dan Wilson's songwriting, which struck me so much about the song Singing Me to Sleep is the lyrics. The lyrics in that song are gorgeous. And you look at something like Closing Time where, like you said, yeah, it has the imagery of closing up a bar, but it's very clearly talking about something deeper. Like it's not just a song about going home from the bar. The all about chemistry, the song chemistry is about him losing his virginity, but using it in all like a scientific experiment analogy. Singing Me to Sleep is a love song about falling in love with someone because of the mixtape that you made them. I I think that that's a theme that's been covered in a lot of songs. Like the Ataris wrote a song, literally just called Song for the Mixtape. But like of the mixtape love songs, I think it is the most creative, like, the way he uses certain words and imagery. Like I the one line was like, I'm singing up to the capulet on the balcony in my mind. So it's like pulling like Shakespeare references mm-hmm. in there. It's like I pray to Sony, my heart to keep, like just all these weird analogies of like connecting love stories and mixtapes and and first time I heard it and listening to it, just like I knew that moment. I have memories of like having a song that i connect with another human being and like for all eternity it could be 15 years later when i hear that song i think of that same person because maybe they introduced it to me or like right. we were in the car together and it came on like there's those weird things that you make a connection of but not enough people write songs about how powerful that connection actually is i've kept every mix cd
0: that someone that i've dated or whatever I've kept every single one of them ever. And even though I don't even have something to play a CD on now, I still kept it because like, yeah, I'm a m- music lover and a person who makes music and that to me, like you said, those songs, whatever, those songs on those mix CD. And I, I like to think that anybody that I made a mix CD for those kept songs, yeah. yeah, that they, whether they kept the actual physical CD or not, maybe when they hear that song, they'll think about me for a split second. You know, that's like
1: a nice thought, right? <laughs> what was your like because I used to make mix CDs all the time and I would get down to like, I would have like the list of songs I wanted to play. And I, this was using computers. Obviously I, I missed the excitement of the mix tape on an actual cassette tape, but I would sit there and I would listen to the ending of a song bleed into the beginning of a song to make sure that it was like a sensible transition. And I would try to like ride the wave of like right. big start, go into like a couple acoustic songs and then like, End big as well, like it was. I, th- I think mine was always
0: one big wave. So, <laughs> if, so basically, you'd start small and you'd get big in the middle, and then you would end quiet. So, you know, like a perfect. Not that this is like a particular one I made, but if I was gonna give you a, an example of what I I meant, I'd probably start with like "Table for Glasses" by Jimmy World, which is the first song in Clarity, which is like this super chill song, and maybe you know you work your way up to. I don't know like some big grand fun song like th- this this wouldn't necessarily but just for example of like feel of the song like army by Ben Folds 5 where it's yeah. just like this this Ba-da-da-da, yeah, yeah. It's like, like yeah. Fun. and then maybe by the time you end it you're you're ending it on like once again I'll catch you by the get up kids or something like so you have this big Epic. Yeah, but you can't go from like a party song to like a sad song. You gotta.
1: You yeah, there has to be a transition. Right, there has right, to right. be a logical flow. Right. And I learned that from. Uh- <laughs> of all things watching High Fidelity. Yeah, of course. Like, listening to John Kuzak's character really break down. Like, you can't just, like, jump all over the place. Like, right. it would drive me nuts when my friends would be like, oh, I made you a mix CD. And I was like, oh, cool. And they're like, yeah, I just threw some songs and hit shuffle and called it a day. It's yeah. like, no, there's no passion in that. Right. And and, <laughs> and and designing the cover of, you know,
0: getting some Sharpies and oh, drawing, yeah. what you name it. And <laughs> and then, you know, put, I, I was very artistic about my my mixes. But I was
1: about the naming. Not so much the art, because I'm a bad artist. And how, much better of a gift is that
0: mix than anything you bought in a store for 25 bucks or something 100%. Like, yeah, <laughs> and that's cool and I you can still make people playlists and send it to them and it's it's but I don't know if it has the same effect or not. I think it's easy for people to just not listen to it or something or ignore it or be like,
1: ah, it's just a text. I forgot about it as opposed to this actual physical thing. I don't know. I'm going to talk about another show that I produced for a second. Um, I produced a show called my favorite episode of where guests come in and they talk about their favorite episode of their favorite TV show. And my friend Joe just was on for one of our Christmas episodes talking about the OC Uh and he was telling us about something that him and his new boyfriend had done. And, what they did when they first started dating was that they made Spotify playlists to exchange with each other. And it was make a spot. The challenge was make a Spotify playlist of the songs that mean the absolute most to you. Mm -hmm. And he said like, Listening to it was like one of the most intimate experiences he's ever had. Because it's like the songs that mean the most to you is such a soul-bearing thing for people. (laughs) So it's like when he told me that, I'm like, oh, that's the new mixtape to me. That's like the... I don't want to just tell you that I love you. I'm going to literally send you like a playlist of twenty songs that by the time you're done that playlist right. you will know who I am as a human. Right. I mean it's the same thing minus the little piece of plastic. Maybe exactly. It's
0: better for the world that we're not <laughs> that we're not making all these little pieces of plastic, you know, that that's better. So yeah, it's the same thing minus the art and the plastic. But it's reassuring to me that as a person who has been so invested and dedicated so much of my life to music that I would say a good majority of people do feel that way about music that music isn't this silly thing that is just for fun or whatever that it is meaningful and that's reassuring Hey, this is Chris Swinney formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network
1: we've talked about it on like your early episodes, but I completely relate it with you in the sense of like, I also had parents that really like music was fine. They were into music, but they were into whatever was the hit song on the radio. And that was like the, like they weren't record people. They weren't Mm -hmm. people that like, Dove into B sides of artists versus like, right. somehow they birthed me that was like, oh, I like this one song by this artist, so I'm going to buy every release that they've ever put out and right. like just dive into it. Mm-hmm. So, Semisonic. Right. <laughs> Closing time, hits number eight, 1998. The number one song of the year, and this, we're going to go on a completely different tangent for a second. I'm warning you. The number one song that year was Aerosmith's Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Okay. And this piece of information sent me through the craziest wormhole because I'm going to state right now that I'm not like the biggest Aerosmith fan, Mm -hmm. but I think that we do not give enough credit to Aerosmith for their ability to have multiple decades of being the biggest band Putting out music whenever they put out a record, right? Uh, and well, back that up a little bit. They didn't write that song, right? They I don't think they wrote that song. I don't think they. I, I think they came from a time where like you had a lot of songwriters in the studio. But like, I was thinking about because Aerosmith was my dad's favorite band when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like he grew up listening to like Dream On from nineteen seventy-three. That song. You I know think I mean? that's the best Aerosmith song for sure. But it's like think about the fact that like my dad when he was 17, was listening to Dream On, which was a new song, right, and loving it. And then flash forward to like 1991, and I'm seeing Wayne's World 2 and hearing Aerosmith and going out and buying Get A Grip because I'm like, this band's incredible. And it's like, I can't think of many other bands that have a genuine cross-generational expansion like that. Like, it's different than like... The Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen were like, yeah, there's young fans, but they're young fans that are mostly there to hear the hits right. of the 70s. Like Aerosmith literally can play a live show and be playing songs from the 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, and the 70s. And they were all hits in those decades. I mean, they did a lot. They did do a lot. They, did, they, they initiated the crossover between rap
0: and rock with Run DMC. You know, you, you had that in the 80s. And of course, you had the 70s Aerosmith you already covered. The 90s, they had the Alicia Silverstone music video Tr- trilogy. trilogy or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. was it three i don't yeah. know it was two or three it was crying uh, i because i researched crazy. all of this
1: crying then amazing and oh, then crazy
0: yeah okay the the Silverstone trilogy which you know whether it was the songs themselves or it was just the imagery of those music videos and having alicia silverstone in them i don't know what it was that but those were definitely massive
1: 2000s they had know. one or two jaded i think was their big okay. one and pink all right. Pink is my favorite color. Wow, I don't know <laughs> yeah. that song, but it sounds terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I had to laugh because don't want to miss a thing. Obviously people know it because it was on Armageddon. Right. But then they put out an album with that song on it and the album was called Nine Lives and I can't think of a better name of an album for yeah. Aerosmith to put out in the late 90s early right. 2000s. <laughs> like yeah. the staying power of that band. It, I it blew my mind when I started thinking about. I mean, Aerosmith deep- has their
0: own roller coaster at Universal Studios, so they <laughs> they they've really, yeah, they've stood the test of time. I never think when I'm naming like the
1: greatest bands of all time, I'm never putting Aerosmith. No, in there. and I and I don't want to say that they should be on the list of the greatest bands, but what I think is like, if you are a musician, there is probably something worth analyzing about what has Aerosmith done that no other band has figured out the the equation to stay relevant like this. True, true. I mean, I even think about that last scene in,
0: in Days That Confused when Randall Pink Floyd tells the coach, like, gonna get Aerosmith tickets, biggest priority of the summer before yeah. he throws the he throws the thing he has to sign yeah. to, to not
1: party or whatever yeah. <laughs> back in the coach's Dude. face. And uh, I can't even think of that. Like, I can't hear sweet emotion and not think of the opening of that movie. Like, right. I just see the car moving. Like, they... Knew exactly how to market themselves in film. It, like I think that there is something to analyze with Aerosmith on how to make sure that your music is in front of as many people as possible. <laughs> and maybe that's why I'm not a bigger Aerosmith fan. Is like I
0: never. I don't
1: think I ever hated Aerosmith. I- they're a nothing band. They're not like a terrible band,
0: but they're just kind of. They're wallpaper. They were always stuffed in my face and in my ears. And am I going to be a huge fan of the biggest band that is nonstop shoved in my face? Like, probably, probably not. It's probably rare that that's somebody's favorite band. But... You do have to give credit where credit's due. I mean, they are one of the... I don't know the stats, but I, I, w- I would be surprised if they weren't in the top 10 most successful bands of all time.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're teaching a class on marketing when it comes to music, Aerosmith and Insane Clown Posse should both be on yeah. the <laughs> curriculum because they've cracked some codes that I think a lot more musicians could be learning from. Right, right for sure. Uh, yeah. Like Semisonic. Semisonic could have learned from yeah. them on yeah. not marketing such a earwormy song as
0: your first single. Bringing it back around to... Closing time in particular. Take away all the fact that it was shoved in our ears all those years and it got people got sick of it and everything like that. Take every memory of this song away and put that song on right now with you, you and I. And
1: honestly, I'm going to love that song. It's a great... And one of the reviews that I found said like, this song is so catchy that by the second verse, you're already singing along with the chorus. Yes. Like it is such a good song. And the thing that kind of, as we were listening to Semisonic leading into recording this, it's easy to forget that they were just a three-piece band. Like for for just three dudes just playing... You know, Dan, Dan Wilson would alternate between the guitar and the piano, and then a bassist and a drummer. Like, they have a very full sound that does not sound like a three piece band. Right. Hey,
0: you know something else pretty cool about this song is I've uh, been bringing this up, but I can't help it because the <laughs> songwriting and doing our show relate to each other. But I produced this podcast called Krista Makes a Podcast, and we had Ryan Key of the band Yellow Card talking about the song Ocean Avenue. Yeah. And. An interesting thing about that song, which is also the same thing as this song, is that if someone said to you, sing Ocean Avenue, you're going to go, there's a place off Ocean, Ocean Avenue, Avenue yeah. which is the verse. Yeah. And it's in not this the song, chorus, <laughs> yeah, right. In this song, you say, sing Closing Time, you're going to go, Closing Time. And it's the verse. It's not the chorus. The chorus is, I know who I want to take, take me, me home.
1: home. And yeah. It's, and that's it's such weird. a simple song. It's it's simple chord structure. It's yeah. pop music 101. Right. But it's cool that people remember the opening line slash
0: verse of this song as opposed to the chorus, because normally you're going to sing the chorus,
1: which is probably song. the more earwormy part of the song in reality. The but- verse
0: might be the most memorable and catchy part of this song. <laughs> that's not- insane.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of it is catchy
0: and and memorable. But more often than not, you're going to sing the chorus of a song if someone tells you to sing along. But yeah, 99.99% of people, if you say sing Closing Time, they're going to sing Closing Time. Yeah, so They're not going to jump right into I Know Who I Want to. No, take no, me. no. No one's going to
1: sing that. No <laughs> one's going to sing that part. So that's, that's kind of a cool songwriting note on this. It, it was weird because I was not... I definitely was a kid of the radio, but Kind of similarly to, you know, recently my co host from Horror Movie Night, Scott was on the show. And I was kind of in that same realm where it was like, I listened to the radio, especially the 90s. I was a 90s radio kid. Mm -hmm. Right when like high school started, that's when I started to dive into like more of, you know, I remember the Ataris coming out within this diary and I liked that song and then went out and bought the three albums that came out before it. And became like a huge fan of like End is Forever. Like I was like, oh, this album. You love a- the Ataris. That's the second time you talked about them this episode. I, I know. I, they're, they're, like a, they're like a quick reference point in my yeah, head. Yeah,
0: they're a reference point. Can, can I tell you real quick that the singer of that band is a huge dickhead to oh, me when I was a kid. I, I've
1: heard. <laughs> which He's a huge dickhead to a lot of people. Well, so. it's such
0: a bummer because I really like that band. You yeah. know, like we were like similar style of music and like whatever. And then I, I, met, I met him. And. For all I know, maybe he's a nice guy and I caught him on a bad day. But like that's like one of those I just never never
1: forgave him. (laughs) I had someone once tell me that like Mick Foley was the biggest asshole they ever met. And like Really? And I've had so many other people tell me that he was like the most down to earth, genuine person. That's nice. That's what I mean. So it's like I think you caught him on a bad day. Right. But I think when there's multiple videos of him being an asshole to like his bandmates and other people, I think I think you caught him on a normal day. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not that far off. I will say it's rare that I
1: don't like somebody. I kind of like everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, You're one of the friendliest people I've oh, ever met.
0: Thanks, Matt. Feelings mutual, bro. Oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so I will say this much as we're talking about like meeting heroes and it being disappointing. I won't say that Dan Wilson is a hero, but he is someone who I would like love to pick his mind yeah. on, on music and, and songwriting because he just everything about him and like the reading quotes of him talking about closing time he's very self-aware of like how people think about the song and i like that like because we've talked about how there's those people who they hate their hit but i also think that there's those people who like if their hit was kind of like you know like you have like the vanilla ice syndrome where like everyone makes fun of it and Mm -hmm. then you get like kind of pissed off that everyone's making fun of your hit yeah but dan wilson's
0: a different situation dan wilson could be like yo you don't like that song that's really funny because i wrote like a billion (laughs) hit songs and i'm so rich and on top of that i'm still making money off that song you don't like so it's funny whereas okay somebody gets a hit and that's their only hit and then they're not still making money from it and people are making fun of it
1: then it's a different situation. Dan True. Wilson parlayed that into mega success. This is so this is fair. He but, can he
0: can smile about
1: it. But yeah, I I like that he's like, yeah, I made an annoying song whatever. Like, yeah. you know, like all yeah, oh, right, cool. Yeah, and we're here to say the song in itself as a song is
0: not annoying. It's actually it, I mean, I'm saying this anyway. No, it it's just a, got overplayed. It's a great song got overplayed.
1: Yeah. Right? And and like you said earlier, like it's you have to have like the song to end all songs to not eventually get tiresome after hearing it a million times.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Not every song could be Paramore, Ain't It Fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the now, song I never get tiresome. I was gonna say <laughs> that wouldn't have been my personal reference yeah, point. That's, but... That is my
0: reference point.
1: <laughs> if nothing else, when I when I pitched the show One Hit Thunder to You, the dream was that Hopefully, a few people from listening to it will dive deeper into a few of these bands' back catalogs and become a fan. And I really do hope that they dive into a little bit more semi sonic because I, I think that they are a really solid band that put out three very good records and put out an EP this year uh, right. called "You Are You Are Not Alone." It came on. I told you, like this song does not sound like it came out in 2020. Like they are still doing the sound that they were doing in 1998. Right. Pretty damn well.
0: Yeah. And that's great. I love your very pure intentions to this podcast. <laughs> your intentions were to just convince people to go deeper into the catalogs of artists <laughs> that you love. And uh, I don't know if I can. It's uh, not always <laughs> going to be the case. Say the same as to how I interpreted. We're doing this <laughs> podcast and we do episodes about Crazy Town and Magic
1: and bands I mean, like that. I mean, not so. every band can be salv- salvaged, but right. <laughs> like right. sneak peek behind the curtain. I guess is that the origins of this show. Before I even called Chris, I used to go to used record stores exclusively to find albums by One Hit Wonders. Like it was just a fun hobby for me to like find these bands and listen to it and just find out like oh, is this a wumbo where I'm going to like actually love every single song on this record? Or is it going to be a disappointment? And he used CD store where it's a buck for a CD. It's right. like no risk. And it was Sean Calvin, Sonny Came Home. I was okay, listening yeah. to that. I bought that album at a CD store and was listening to it in the car. And like by the third or fourth track, I was like, I'm still into this three tracks in. So this is pretty good. I wish there was a way to expose more people to the the sweet sounds of Sean Colvin. Nice. <laughs> and then I was like, ooh, a podcast would yeah. be perfect. <laughs> and and we you know, and we are living in a
0: time where it's not like when you bought a CD and it's like, okay, I invested fifteen bucks into this yeah, thing. You so type a name in I Spotify am, and you get everything. Yeah, right. So it's now, you know, back then it was like, oh, I have to listen to this whole thing and I have to try to like it because I spent fifteen bucks on yeah. this. So now it's a different time. It's like, yeah, you have it's We talked about this. It's so important for the first track on your album. You better step out with your best foot forward because people might give you five seconds. Yeah. People might give you 10 seconds. And if you don't catch them in that first 10 seconds, that might be the end of your chance. That's I, that used to be for sad
1: me, for me. It used to be if I'm still, if by track three, I'm still not into it. Or the only song I was into was the one radio song I've already got a bad taste in my mouth for the next nine tracks. <laughs>
0: like, I mean, I think I would... When I bought a CD, even if it was one where it was like, oh, this is a dud, what I do? I at least went through every track. Maybe I didn't listen to the whole song, but I at least listened to some of every song
1: to try to find a song I like. Chris, you're starting to learn this about me. The people who've been podcasting with me for years, like Jonathan and and Scott and my brother Brian, know that I am fucking weird. And one of the weird things that I did when I was in, I would say middle school, was... I was always very weirdly analytical. If I bought CDs and there were songs that I weren't, I wasn't into, I would have a blank cassette tape and I would make a mixtape of only the songs I didn't like off of albums and would listen to that tape in the basement when I was doing stuff and then I also had a chart that I kept of the songs that were on the tape. And I would indicate if my enjoyment of it was growing or decreasing. And then if I once I decided that I definitively didn't like or really did like the song, I would remake the cassette tape with like a new track of songs. Wow.
0: <laughs> you are not only the only person on earth who ever did that. You are also insane. (laughs) (laughs) That is the craziest thing
1: I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I respect that. That's awesome. But, Wow. I feel like that's why I'm such an optimistic person is that I just forced myself at a young age to be like, you've got to see good in everything.
0: Wow. Yeah, man. Well, that's great. The, the people out there making music really appreciate. Oh, yeah. The, no. the, I'm the sure
1: Silverchair that... was really excited yeah. that I listened <laughs> to my least favorite song by them more times than my favorite song to. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. I get it. Well, you know, and that that's interesting because... Some songs don't hit you at first, but then upon re-listening, you grow to like them more than the songs that you liked at first. Yeah, that's why an album, listening to a whole album, is great. And whether you realized that as a kid, and that's why you did it, or you were just crazy, which, yeah. whichever reason you did it, it's probably both. Yeah, right. <laughs> and whatever reason you did it, I mean, it's actually it's actually cool, you know. Uh, because there's a lot of songs, yeah, the ear candy of it, or just that over the top hook sucks you in. But then it also, by the end, you're just like, oh no, I don't like this song after five listens. Whereas a song that at first didn't hit you, now you, it's your favorite song on the album. So I think that's cool,
1: and I think it's also stations in your life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like I said, I didn't get into Semisonic until probably five years after they broke up because i didn't like the song closing time in 1998 right but now i'm like fuck yeah, if closing time's on i'm singing that at the top of my lungs in the car like it's right. it's a really good song but i don't know i think we, i think we always have that like even the most recent one for me is like i love hamilton but for a while i didn't really like the song dear theodosia and would skip it all the time and now mm-hmm. it's probably my favorite song in the entire show but i went and saw hamilton
0: <laughs> good stuff yeah no i mean <laughs> i saw hamilton and i do like some of the songs in it i really like wait for it oh wait for it. it's a
1: jam yeah you know what you would like i'm gonna stop you right there and tell you what you would like what's that have you heard the hamilton mixtape yeah okay i was gonna say the hamilton mixtape's awesome yeah where he like got the artists who the songs were like inspired by to cover the songs because usher right. does wait for it and he does a fantastic yeah i job. heard that
0: i heard that yeah and i think ben folds did dear theodosia he, right? that's
1: what made me a fan of dear theodosia because yeah, <laughs> he did it with regina specter and mm-hmm. like you put ben folds and regina specter's voices harmonizing it's yeah. always going to be good
0: dude put those two together <laughs> put drake and rihanna together <laughs> Um, oh, there's another one. If you put them together, it's just always amazing.
1: Jennifer Lopez with Ja Rule. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Put them <laughs> together. It's always it's always a
1: hit. They bring the... Ja Rule and Jennifer Lopez bring the be- the best out of each other yeah, when they're for, doing a song together. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything bad
0: about it. I, I was going to go down... I don't want to go down that path. I, I, th- I love... I, love is a strong word. I like Hamilton. I don't get the obsession with yeah. it. I think the obsession is a little much like I think it should have been like, yeah, that's good. Like, I think it should have been. But to be this, I
1: don't know. I don't want to do that. I couldn't write it. I couldn't write it. So I think I think it's one of those things where like I analyze that all the time with people where it's like it, it is it's one of those things where it's like it's very good. It's very different. It's unique. It's like groundbreaking, but it's also overrated at the exact same time. Like it's like a really weird. It's a tightrope that it walks. And I think it's it's not overrated Because it's not a good show, it's overrated because of the way that people talk about it versus like what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But. We're not. Dr- we're not going to drag Hamilton no. on here. Hamilton's
0: great. Because we want to get Lin
1: Manuel on here one day. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I want to know what Lin Manuel thinks about. I don't know. Sir Mix a Lot. Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, but before before we wrap up here, man, I think do we even need to? No, that's no. thunder. Thunder. Yeah. Lightning.
1: There are clouds in the sky. Yeah, it's- you
0: wouldn't pick. Uh, you wouldn't pick the a, a a blunder. No, 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 no. never. We'll save the blunders for for the guests. Yeah. <laughs> for the-
1: <laughs> I was I was genuinely more nervous that this would be a debate between thunder and blunder.
0: No, no. <laughs> come on, man. You know, you know me. I,
1: I never know. I don't know. It's that it's Why? I that- give,
0: have I given a song a blunder that you thought should have got a thunder?
1: No, 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 but it's during that great period of the the late 90s when you were if it was an Epitaph for Fat Records, well, you weren't listening to no,
0: it. No, I can look back. <laughs> I I I could I could appreciate things in retrospect. Well, I really hate the late 90s like bands that wanted to sound like Pearl Jam but didn't yeah that was <laughs> you know, a bad time that, that, that bad any of those bad bands I, I and I'm not going to praise the butt a, rock bands they were butt rock yeah bands. I don't want to praise butt rock bands I'm not going to praise I'm not one of those people that's like you know what Nickelback is good no they're not no. They fucking suck and don't try to argue with me that like the songwriting is good or whatever because I don't care I don't care if it's a well crafted song like that band sucks like and their songs aren't well
1: crafted like having sat and read some of their lyrics it's funny because i was i was kind of into nickelback at the very beginning no 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 like when the very first single came out the like this is how you remind me song i was like oh this isn't it fit in with like everything else that was on the radio at that time but then it was like right around like the photograph and like chat like chad Kruger doing the song for spider-man and stuff like i was just like oh this is this is bad
0: yeah i mean i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna do that but a great song man a great song is a great song regardless if i was too cool for it at the time all right fair yeah. enough then yeah thunder all the way thunder baby
1: somewhere in This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophagos of the band's Punchline, Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net, who was this week's guest and also um, me. I also produce the podcasts My Favorite Episode Of and Host Horror Movie Night and Christmas 365. If you dig this podcast, you should check out those as well. And underneath me, you're hearing my favorite Punchline song, Somewhere in the Dark. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
0: I am fast the Geekscape Network. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.
1: Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolf Peck, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more.